Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is one more game in the college football season left over tonight. I'm not going to lie to you. I couldn't care less about this game. I don't care if Michigan wins. I don't care if Washington wins. Now, in some respect, it's sort of easy to root against Michigan because Michigan because they're obviously cheaters, and you know clearly justice would be served by having Michigan not win this game tonight. So, in one respect, I guess it's sort of easy to root for Washington. But I've told many of you before, I've also got a little bit of beef against Washington too. Perhaps not as significant as you know the obvious ill-gotten gain that the Wolverines have benefited from all year long. My beef with Washington more along the lines of sort of a stolen valor type thing where at times the Huskies have also enjoyed calling themselves the dogs d-a-w-g-s I find that incredibly uh, incredibly offensive it's also from a dialect standpoint just wrong people from the the Pacific Northwest don't speak that way so I have some beef against Washington probably more beef against Michigan most of us do the game is tonight I don't really care a ton about it but it is there now that said, even though I'm not all that like juiced up about tonight's national championship game, certainly nowhere near to the degree I would have been in obviously each of the last two years, I do find myself to be in an incredibly good mood here this morning. And maybe as a Georgia fan, you sense the same sort of thing. Sometimes there's just sort of a feel in the atmosphere and you kind of notice it, you kind of feel it. I feel like that's where I kind of am right now. It just sort of seems like we've kind of gotten through something, right? It sort of seems like we've turned the corner on something. The transfer portal is over, and there is much rejoicing in the land about that. For UGA, that window has come to a close. You lost some guys. You held on to some guys. The fight was ongoing, and now it's sort of over. And we're not technically to the NFL draft declaration deadline. That's the 15th, is that right? But for the most part, it seems like that's all going pretty well here for UGA. Georgia getting pretty good news over the last 24, 48, 72 hours, however long it's been. Xavier Trust, Tate Rattledge coming back along the offensive line. Uh, Nazir Stackhouse coming back along the defensive line. That all really feels like, you know, kind of a very good piece of news. There are other announcements we believe that are still, you know, upcoming. And we sort of feel like those announcements are going to be pretty good for UGA. There is growing optimism that Warren Brinson may come back for the 2024 season. That would be really, very nice. Some thoughts that guys like Rob Rod Thomas and Dominic Lovett much expected to come back. They're going to confirm that expectation. They're going to be back here there as well. And you sort of see a picture of what Georgia is going to look like for 2024. And I got to tell you, based on the incoming recruits, we'll talk a little bit about the All-American Bowl a little bit later on. But based on all of this, it just sort of seems like Georgia is in a really good spot for 2024. A very strong roster, very much in place to contend for the 2024 season. And it sort of feels like coming in on this Monday for the first time in a while. Now, we do have kind of a wild transfer portal rumor we'll get to here in a couple of minutes. But for the first time in a while, it sort of feels like we're sort of sitting here doing this show kind of more in peace time as opposed to the very chaotic wartime it sort of feels like we've been in over the course of the last couple of weeks and I sort of feel like that's a very very nice place to be do you get the same sense of that the way that I do I believe that you probably do and 
It also allows us to sort of turn the page here a little bit about the embrace that I believe that Georgia fans should have for 2024, not just because of the fact that I believe that Georgia is well positioned for the 2024 season, but I do believe that the 2024 season is also going to bring a lot of excitement for college football fans in general and Georgia fans in particular. And there are always two ways in which we talk about stuff like this. They're kind of like, the, and I don't know if you noticed this or if you've ever quite articulated this way, but I believe it's true. There's sort of twin pillar conversation that take place here. We talk about what's good for college football overall, because right now that's a very relevant topic. And we talk about parallel to that, what's also good for UGA. And I believe, not everybody agrees with this, I totally understand, but I believe that as we move tonight, say goodbye to the 14 playoff era and move forward starting tomorrow into the new era of the 12-team playoff, I believe, for the most part, this is very good for college football and, in particular, very good for UGA. Let me explain why just briefly here. In the case of just sort of college football overall, I think one of the most distasteful parts about this sport is the power a bunch of what I would call unelected bureaucrats sort of have. That group of people on the college football playoff selection committee, I don't trust their judgment. I'm not really quite so sure I trust anything about them necessarily. And in a 14 playoff world, they have a lot of power. And I don't particularly like the power they've been given. And I love the idea that as you expand the playoff and put more teams in, you are kind of reducing the power the committee has because all of a sudden now there are just going to be left or I should say they're going to be less, I mean to say, less kind of the high-voltage, volatile debates the way that there were this year about who should be the top four. There will still be some when it comes to the top 12, and there'll still be obviously a lot when it comes to, well, who's hosting a playoff game, who's going on the road. The nature of the debate's changing, but by expanding the playoff, you are reducing some of the power the committee has. I believe overall that's a very, very good thing. But beyond that, when it comes to Georgia in particular, I also think the new era of the sport, which sort of officially begins tomorrow, I also think in a roundabout way that is a very good thing for Georgia there as well. Because while on the one hand, life is about to get much tougher for Georgia. Georgia's playing a much tougher schedule next year, arguably the toughest schedule this program has ever played. It will play in the regular season of 2024. And the path to winning a national championship is getting more difficult if for no other reason, because that path now gets longer. You've got to play in a deeper conference, which adds Oklahoma and Texas kind of officially, so to speak, starting tomorrow. Uh, expanded playoff means additional games win a national championship. The idea of winning a national championship getting more difficult is sort of proven out by the fact that just the path is just getting longer. There are just more games to win, more tough opponents. But it's also sort of true that while it's tougher for Georgia, it's kind of also tougher for everybody there as well. Go look at Michigan's schedule for 2024, for instance. You know, the new additions to the pack from the Pac 12 to the Big Ten are on that schedule, and it certainly doesn't look very easy. Alabama's playing a pretty tough schedule, I would say, for next year. For the most part, the teams that we think of as that kind of top level of contender, as long as you're in the SEC or the Big Ten, almost everybody is about to get. You know, a little bit of a tougher regular season schedule moving forward and the longer expanded playoff is going to impact everybody the same way in other words here's how i'd say this one of the things that i think ought to make you excited as a georgia fan is the knowledge and the belief that things getting tougher for you is better because the best teams are best proven in tougher circumstances. I think it's a really important thing to keep in mind here, that if you are the most talented team, if you're the best coach, if you have the best overall program, then you want 
the uh, challenge of winning a national championship to be as difficult as possible because that just makes it more likely that you emerge on the other side of that. You're able to survive that stress test because you were just overall of a much greater strength than the teams you're competing with. I'll tell you what kind of brought this to mind for me. I thought that Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated had a very interesting uh, column up this week talking about how this year's national championship game feels just so different than previous national title games because of, relatively speaking here, the relatively low level of talent measurably on the Michigan roster and the Washington roster compared to teams that have been winning national championships in previous you know years, including Georgia the last two years. In fact, let me read you a few sentences here coming from Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. He writes that the 24-7 sports team talent composite for 2023 ranks Michigan roster at number 14 overall based on high school football recruiting rankings, and Washington comes at number 26. He says, since that team talent metric debuted in 2015, every national champion is ranked in the top 10 and all but one national champion that's Clemson in 2016 are ranked in the top six 40 goes on to write that the schools have he says the schools that have annually dominated recruiting rankings in recent years Alabama Georgia and Ohio State rank first second third in the 24-7 sports composite formula for this 2023 season he says they've also combined to win six of the last nine playoff national championship titles and they've earned a combined 15 playoff bids he says but they'll all be spectators on Monday night now the premise of 40s column is the discussion of well, does this sort of begin a new trend where all of a sudden there's a little bit more balance in the sport and teams like Washington kind of outside the top 25 in overall talent, teams like Michigan outside the top 10, all of a sudden they are more capable of competing for the title. And what I'm going to tell you is I believe this is a little bit of a one-off. This is capable in the four-team playoff because there is a lot of luck involved in such a small sample of who makes the college football playoff. But when you expand to add a quarterfinal round, and for some teams, a you know a round prior to that, when you expand the playoffs out, the likes of a Washington outside the top 25 and overall talent, eventually that's going to get exposed. I would say even for a Michigan outside the top 10, in most cases, in the new expanded playoff and in the new toughened up regular seasons they're going to kind of dominate the sport the sec and the big 10 level that's also the kind of thing that over time is just more likely to get exposed and so for georgia who for next year is still for the most part going to be among the most talented rosters in college football the idea of a new 12 team playoff i think is a very good thing for georgia in particular i think that georgia is set up well for the new stress test that's on the way and the whole idea of hey this washington team sort of came out of nowhere and this Michigan team less measurably talented than some of its SEC counterparts yet still playing for the title while the SEC teams are at home I think for the most part this is going to end up feeling like a one-off and in the future the very best most talented teams are going to be set up for the greatest level of dominance and obviously for a long time to come we sort of expect that to be UGA in fact one more point to kind of like I guess sort of wrap all of this up starting tomorrow we get into a time of year that I find to be really enjoyable this is the time of year in which those way too early top 25s start coming out. Uh, we'll have a flood of those beginning tomorrow. We've already gotten one of those here right now. Brett McMurphy, longtime veteran college football reporter, now working for the Action Network, which is a gambling website. But McMurphy, I believe, takes the gold medal 
to be the first reporter to get a way too early top 25 out for the upcoming season. I'll show you this on the screen here. You're probably maybe surprised, maybe not surprised to find out that Georgia ranks number one on McMurphy's way too early top 25 for the 2024 season. Now, listen, I'm not so sure you should be popping champagne bottles over this or anything like that, but it is an indicator of the point that I've been making here over the course of the last few minutes to begin this show. That after tonight, we say goodbye to the old 14 playoff era. Pretty good for UGA. They won two national championships, but we say hello to a brand new era for the sport. It's going to take us a few months to sort of figure this out. What exactly are the new rules for the playoff? How do you get in? How's this system going to work? It's going to take some feeling around to sort of decide what this is all about. But the big picture story here is, is I do believe this new format, while probably better for college football overall, is especially good for programs like UGA. If you're Georgia, you want it to be hard. You want the schedules to be tough in the regular season. You want the playoff to be as long and arduous as possible because the weaker teams, the less talented teams, will be more likely to fall by the wayside throughout that process. And the best of the best are more likely to emerge the tougher the overall test is. That, I believe, is a very good thing for UGA. Brett McMurphy, the first to say he believes that George will be back on top in 2024. And who are we to say that he's wrong? My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Pella Window and Doors. Georgia, we are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, starting at 10 a.m. across all platforms, even earlier than that on our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. We take your comments and talk about Georgia football there with you. We're on radio, Athens Sports Radio 963F, podcast, wherever you find them. Just really, really happy to have you as a part of our program here today. And incredibly thankful to our friends at Palo Window and Door of Georgia for making this show possible. So tonight, we're in a place that we don't necessarily want to be. We're forced to sit at home and watch the national championship on a cold January Monday night. But guess what? If you got to sit at home and watch a game like this, next best thing is to feel toasty and warm in your home, knowing that all that cold weather and windy conditions and nastiness of the winter, that's all kept outside the home where it's supposed to be. And inside, you feel nice and toasty and warm. And those heating bills that are so expensive this day and age, all of that is staying right inside the house where it's supposed to be. And you're heating your house in the most efficient way possible because of Pella window and door. That is what makes the show possible for you here today. And it's time for you to have one of those conversations with one of those Pella experts if you have not done that before and kind of find out why that their slogan is more than just a slogan. Pella Window and Door of Georgia truly is viewed to be the best. Homeowners who are the most committed to taking the best possible care of their home understand that the Pella doors, just better doors. The Pella windows, just better windows. In fact, if you're out there kind of a new construction type thing and you see the stuff being built right there, always a sign of quality craftsmanship, craftsmanship, I should say, when you see those Pella windows and doors being installed there. That's a good sign of good things. And if you want to show off the same kind of sort of value for your own home, installing Pella windows and doors is a great thing to do. Now, you can hear me talk to you about this, but it's even better to hear this from one of those Pella experts. In fact, I think it's probably time for you to have that free, no-pressure consultation. They don't want to try to sell you something. They want to inform you on why it's time for you to consider those Pella windows and doors. They'll come by and see you in your own home and have that conversation 
with you there. Once again, not a pressure discussion, just an informative conversation. You can go see them at their Experience Center there in Duluth, which I think is worth a stop by to see there anyway, because it's just a cool building. Uh, it's a great way to sort of see the best of the entire product line that Pella has to offer. You can do that there in Duluth, or you can reach out to them and give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. You can also visit them at PellaofGA.com slash dognation. That's PellaofGA.com slash dognation. And when you have that conversation, make sure you tell them the BA said they take good care of you. I know they will. But also tell them the BA said there's a great deal and some great savings out there right now because between now and January 31st, you can get 10% off Pella projects and 0% APR for 36 months. Make sure you check that out. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right. We're going to talk to John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse. And as a way of setting up what we're about to discuss, a little bit of an interesting transfer portal rumor out there for UGA. Let's go back in time here for a moment, back to December. It was National Signing Day. Georgia brought in Ryan Puglisi to the 2024 class, the quarterback position, but obviously had initially intended to have two quarterbacks. Uh, as a part of that class, it would have been Puglisi and Dylan Riola. Now, Georgia also got the news that Carson Beck was coming back. So the landscape for Georgia was, okay, Beck is returning. Riola's not coming here. Puglisi is. And Gunnar Stockton expected to stay with the thought that eventually the, uh, Gunnar Stockton himself would become a very good quarterback here at UGA. But that is three scholarship quarterbacks. So Kirby Smart was asked, you know, around National Signing Day, about how the decision of Beck to return impacts quarterback recruiting overall. And Kirby was willing to kind of get kind of specific into this. This is a little bit of a longer exchange with one of the reporters. Um, Kirby eventually kind of gets pretty specific about what Georgia expects from a numeric standpoint from the number of quarterbacks on its roster and kind of perhaps what Georgia was willing to kind of go out and do as a way of rectifying what Georgia thought was a need. I'm going to play this clip for you, and then we're going to talk about Kirby being a man of his word after that. Here is Kirby Smart going back to December National Signing Day. I don't think Carson's uh, decision had any impact on our uh on our quarterback recruiting situation, I think a lot of independent variables there that um, we 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 felt pretty good that Carson was coming back the entire time. Um, he's communicated with us. He um, did his research and uh, certainly had options, but he 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 communicated that he wanted to grow and uh, continue to get better, and um, and so he made that choice. What was the second part of that, Chip? Was whether that whether he would. Still need to sign another quarterback oh, between now and the next period. Yeah, that, that's something we have to think long and hard about. We our hard number is four. We want to be at four, and we're not at four. So again, we'll we'll, we'll look at our options um, and, and, and and see what we can do there. We we would like to be at at four though. That's our our, our goal. So there you go. That's Kirby Smart back in December saying that Georgia wanted to have four scholarship quarterbacks. Their goal for their position is to do that, and so that led us to believe, well, okay, well Georgia could go out and pursue another quarterback here in uh, 2024 out of the transfer portal, perhaps. And at one point in time, there was sort of the, the Malik Murphy chatter. Murphy seems in line to be a starter somewhere. So that never really materialized at UGA. He's going to Duke instead, probably have, have that job essentially handed to him there. That's a little bit more in line with what he perhaps might want. So you're left to wonder, okay, well, what kind of quarterback – might Georgia go after and specifically who is that quarterback that Georgia might target we may have a little bit of information related to that to you today I want to show you this on the screen for a moment this coming from one of the on three reporters his name is Scott Schrader saying he had some late information on Jaden Maivea uh Maeva, I should say <laughs> sometimes the uh pronunciations kind of get me Jade Maeva 
uh, the UNLV quarterback, who apparently, according to Schrader, has visited now both USC and Georgia. So to sort of flip this around here and say this a little bit more of a sensible way, Georgia has hosted UNLV quarterback Jaden Maeva on a visit here, apparently in uh, recent days. Now, who is Maeva? Well, he was the quarterback of the Rebels here this year. Pretty good numbers overall. Uh, important to note, though, that UNLV for a while here this year was probably about the best group of five team in America. Barry Odom, first year head coach, obviously, you know, Odom, the former Missouri head coach, went to UNLV and the, the running Rebels were having great success for quite some time. They kind of fell apart a little bit by the end of the year for whatever reason. But uh, but UNLV had a very good year this year. Maeva, for the most part, had a really good year, too. Pretty good dual threat quarterback overall. Um, and uh, I, at least some running threat. I don't want to say dual threat necessarily, but some running threat. But also kind of pretty good numbers. Now, this is not... This is not the same thing of getting like, oh, future first-round pick. I mean, Maeva's a guy that was a pretty effective starter for a pretty good group of five team. Let's m- make sure that we are, you know, I think accurate what this description is. This is a guy that had some success for a team that was pretty good. And in a place like Georgia, if he were to come here, he would provide some quarterback depth, better than Carson Beck? Of course not. Better than Gunnar Stockton? I would say probably not. More game-ready than Ryan Puglisi in 2024? Probably so. Uh, a fulfillment of Kirby Smart's wish to have four scholarships quarterback scholarship quarterbacks in place the upcoming season? I'd say that's probably about right. That's probably about what that is. So what we said was, you know, once Georgia kind of got to the spot here where it knew it was going to have Dylan Riola, they needed some sort of like insurance policy against quarterback injury or just to even have you know effective practices. You want as many reps as possible. You want those scholarship quarterbacks to be able to provide that. This sort of feels like, you know, perhaps what uh, what this Maeva story might be. Now, does he go to Georgia? Does he go to a place like USC? Like, how real does this materialize after that? Because just because you take a visit doesn't necessarily mean that's where you're going to end up. But 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 it is interesting to, to note here, according to some pretty substantial reporting from a respected website, Georgia has hosted a transfer quarterback, uh, a guy that had some success at the Group of Five level here for UNLV. So we will continue to follow this. We'll give you any new information once it becomes available. So that's the story there on that. Now, to kind of broaden things back out a little bit, we opened our show today by saying sort of feels like Georgia sort of turned the page here a little bit. Looking ahead now to 2024, for the most part, after having weathered the storm of the uh, transfer portal, the NFL draft declarations mostly seem to be going Georgia's way right now. And so all of that seems, for the most part, pretty good, pretty positive. So what does that mean is next for UGA? And how ready are all of us to sort of make sense of this brand new format, this brand new era for the sport that essentially begins tomorrow? We'll cover all of that ground right now as we get ready to welcome in John Stinchcomb to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, as promised, we'll welcome on John Stinchcomb to the program here today. John, we're uh, glad to have you with us. And sort of started this a uh, moment ago by saying, kind of feels like Georgia has kind of gone past a little bit of a corner pole here that it seems like for the last however many weeks we've come in and done the show on kind of a wartime footing where it's like is so-and-so staying or so-and-so leaving or you know what's next crazy news coming up over and over and over again it sort of seems like 
today was the first true off-season day where we came in to do the show and listen i i love news it's fun to have all that kind of stuff to talk about but there's also an element where it feels good to be able to do a show on a little bit more of a relaxed footing than we've done it here in the past do you get the same sense that i do that there's a feeling in the atmosphere that sort of changed here a little bit and georgia now is a little bit more certain and aware of what its 2024 roster is going to look like well, without question, I think there were such shifting sands in December that you didn't know who was going to play in the bowl and you didn't know who was going to be on the roster in 2024. You didn't know who was going to be in the transfer portal, who we were going to pick up, who's going to the NFL draft. A lot of those questions have been answered. And that's exciting for dog fans because we like certainty. We like to know that our best players are going to be back. And uh, I think we've got a much better sense of who's going to be available uh, this coming year. Now there's still going to be turnover, but that's for now there is, uh, there is a sense of ease that we know who's going to be, uh, at least available through spring practice and G day. And I, I got to tell you, I, I sort of feel like John, that the, the roster that I'm seeing come together here, I'll tell you, I like it. I mean, I, you know, getting the news of like Xavier Truss and, and, and Tate Rallage coming back, that's an incredible level of offensive line depth compared to what most teams in America are, are going to have. Nazir Stackhouse coming back along the defensive line, that's a huge win, I, I believe, for Georgia that obviously the early stage of the offseason, hope always springs eternal. But in the case of Georgia here, you know, Carson Beck's the biggest possible news. But I, I think overall – the 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 story of who's leaving and who's going it seems like to me georgia has won a lot more battles of these than they've lost yeah it's a net win for georgia you look at across the country and the number of players that have left programs and georgia had their fair share but uh, let's be honest if we're looking at it the the net it's a net positive for georgia there is a number of players that were promising that entered their name into the the transfer portal, and I think they were prioritized by Georgie. Look at Daniel Harris and Julian Humphrey and younger players like that who you say, man, there is still a great opportunity for them to wear the red and black and help this team. And Georgia was able to retain them. Not to say that you know there wasn't opportunities for guys that left Georgia if they were to stay, but uh, it was mostly a, a group of individuals that, you know, uh, probably don't have the highest ceilings, uh, at least remaining, uh, wearing the red and black. And, and when you get guys like Tate Ratledge coming back and obviously Carson Beck, uh, that's a huge boost to this overall roster, both sides of the ball, interior offensive line, as well as that defensive front. And now you've, you've added some other pieces, uh, primarily through uh, just National Signing Day, and there is a lot of uh, expectation for what could be for this Georgia team going forward. I thought it was a big deal the other day to keep this conversation going. I thought it was a big deal the other day that George was able to convince Julian Humphrey not to leave. And there's an element of like, there's always the world as you wish it is. And there's the world that's actual reality. And there's something very important for anybody who wants to be a success in any field. The willingness and the capability to confront reality on its own terms here, and the the reality is, is that you know guys do have freedom of movement. You know, guys, you know, are going to hear these sort of last minute pitches from teams that aren't capable of developing their own players. They're going to try to swoop in and take shortcuts here, and no telling what Julian Humphrey heard and all that kind of stuff. And I know he seemingly sort of flip flopped two or three times. You know, on the basis of his final decision, even some of his Georgia teammates were sort of laughing about just how you know kind of sort of ostentatious this story got before it's all said and done. 
done. But when it's all said and done, you want players like Julian Humphrey in your roster. This is a cornerback who could be an NFL you know, talent here. And if you lost him, you just have to be go out and try to replace him with somebody else of a similar talent level. No easy feat necessarily. So another example of all of this, not only is Georgia getting some sort of could have left NFL type guys to stay with the program but a guy like Humphrey who seemed like the very last minute might be strongly considering leaving UGA all of a sudden now he's not it's another example of I feel like if you're a Georgia fan you've had a few days worth of pretty good news here as of late yeah there's more wins than losses I think there's predominantly been wins for Georgia as, as we prepare for tonight's game and it, you know there's still a little sting to it but recognizing that we have to turn the page and we're, we're now looking to the 2024 season, the number of players that Georgia was able to retain, whether battling the, the NFL draft or other programs. And that's the world we live in today where, you know, you enter that transfer portal and it has been more positive than negative for Georgia. But uh, the, the number of players that Georgia was able to keep from this previous season heading into this next year, I think is a very positive sign that Georgia is positioned well for the future. There's a number of teams that are competitive for a season or can flash in the pan, or they're trying to buy their way into relevance for a single season. That's not the way Georgia has shaped their roster. So moving on tomorrow sort of begins what I think of first day of the kind of the 12 team playoff era. I don't know how much you and I have talked about this, but I believe this is probably good for the sport, generally speaking. Um, I think some of the debates that we've had this year, for instance, not very good. I, th- I think the overall idea of including more teams in the playoff, taking power away from the committee, probably a good step forward for the sport. But beyond that, more important for our audience, I believe a 12-team expanded playoff and just a tougher road towards a national championship, generally speaking, I believe that benefits a program like Georgia. If you're the best, you want the test, I believe, to be as tough as possible because you're just more likely to see yourself emerge the tougher the test is, you know, the the the, the better the eventual winner is. Uh, do you agree that the 12-team playoff era um, is particularly good for a program like UGA? I think so. I think it eliminates some of the subjectivity that you see year to year. Obviously, this was a year where – uh, it was very subjective as you identify four out of six teams that had resumes that could include their uh, their teams and their rights to the college football playoffs. But I, I, there's more shoes to drop. I mean, you look across the board and uh, you, it's got to dovetail into what we do during the season. It obviously allows teams that are ranked higher to, to lose a game, much like what we see in the NFL. I mean, you, you see – as we play more games, it is hard to play week in and week out high-level football. And for Georgia to have sustained the record that they have over these past four years is astonishing. Uh, to not have an off week, or when you do have an off week, still find a way to win is really impressive and hard to do. So I think all in all, it is a, an improvement. We're heading in the right direction. It eliminates you know, the power of a room full of people subjectively identifying the teams that they feel are the best suited to to win a championship and allows more teams to prove it on the field. So I have said that I believe there is a strong chance we won't have any more undefeated college football playoff national champions anymore. Obviously tonight there's going to be one, but this might end up being sort of the last 
undefeated national champion, at least for quite some time. There may obviously, I mean, it's a slightly shorter season in the NFL, so it's more likely to happen in college ball than it is in the NFL. But the same way in the sort of Super Bowl era, we've got the 72 to offense, and the Patriots almost did it. I think it was 2007. Other than that, NFL Super Bowl champions, they just take losses, and some of them take quite a bit of losses. I believe that college football, John, moving forward, is going to start looking a whole lot more like that, especially in the SEC and, frankly, in the Big Ten there as well because that league's getting tougher too. And if you're an undefeated ACC team that sneaks in, well, you're likely to have happen to you what happened to Florida State, which is eventually you're going to get exposed, right? You may beat up on your own competition, your own league, but you get into an expanded playoff where you have to win the quarterfinals and the semis and then again in the, uh, in the, in the national championship game. Eventually that team is just likely to get exposed. I just don't believe we're going to see an undefeated national champion moving forward. I think we will at some point, but it certainly won't be the regularity that we've seen it in the past. And I think that's a good thing for college football fans. Hopefully, as we continue to evolve across this uh, ever-shifting sands of college football, one of the things that I'm hoping for is you see two power conferences emerge between the SEC and Big Ten is more competitive football. The fact that, you know, we've had undefeated champions, one, that's really cool to say, but you also have to look at who or, who did they play. If we can yeah. make those the value of the regular season games of higher quality, you're playing better opponents where you don't have these cupcakes week in and week out, yes, it will mean we'll have fewer undefeated champions at the end of the season, but it also means we've got some really good games throughout that regular season that matter more. And I think that's exciting for fans. Let me tell you how specifically this sort of shows up for me. Now, I am in most years about as ambitious about Georgia's chances as anybody possibly could be. I think for 2024, I feel the same way. But as a staunch Georgia partisan, if you told me right now I could have 11-1 and for Georgia in this upcoming season, in the regular season, I'd take it and run with it. John, I might even take 10-2. and If you told me right now, hey, B.A., on January the whatever, before the season even begins, months before the season begins, you can secure a 10-2 and regular season record for Georgia, would you take that? I believe I might with the full belief that 10-2 and in the regular season might be plenty enough to get Georgia right where it wants to be to win the national championship in the expanded playoff. Maybe history is going to say that I'm a little bit too uh, – I guess, out in front of of what the actual new format's going to look like. But Georgia's got road games next year against Texas, Bama, and Ole Miss. I believe even the most, like, deep red, you know, Georgia fan, you know, has – has got to probably view two of those three games turning into wins as a success. You know, the idea that you're going to clean sweep those three road games, I just don't know that you will. Now, you may say, well, the one you really need to win of that three is whatever, and that's a conversation worth having. But two of those three, to me, would feel like a huge success. And then, you know, almost running the table, you know, with the rest of that schedule seems about right there, too. I'm as ambitious as anybody about what Georgia can do. But uh, when I look at this 2024 schedule, I don't see a zero in the loss column, I don't believe. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be. I think in years past, we recognize to have a legit chance at winning a national championship, even before the college football playoffs were a four-team format, it, it you had to be undefeated or you, know, you have to be pretty selective of where that loss comes. Now, that's not the case. I think Georgia very realistically can lose one game, realistically two games, and still their ultimate goal, if if – our ultimate goal is to win national championships. You can do that, still be a part of the college football playoffs, 
and finish strong. It has to play out the right way. You have to have the right uh, dynamics within your team and be healthy at the right time and playing good football and all those things still remain true. But it does allow you to you know, cover up some, some of those losses that in, are incurred during the season, much like the NFL. The reason why you know, in an NFC South, you play your, your three common opponents twice. Very rarely do you see a clean sweep from either side. And, and that's even with teams having experienced some down years. So I think that just proves the, the difficulty when you play high level football against quality opponents, which Georgia has on their uh, schedule this coming year, three away games that are going to be really tough challenges. I think it's very realistic for Georgia fans to say if our if our goal is to win national championships, then we can win we can lose one or two of those games and still have a a very plausible path towards a national championship at the end of the season. Well, speaking of the national championship, the game is tonight, Washington and Michigan. I told our audience to kick off the show. I have less than zero interest in this game. I, I just I just don't care. <laughs> uh, I mean, I reckon I'll watch. Uh, if it's not very, very close, though, I may not see the end of this. But to be you know objective for a moment here, do you have a uh, thought on how you think this game might play out tonight? I, I just want Michigan to lose. Uh, that's basically where I stand. I don't like the way that uh, – program has been handled uh, especially this season and the poor pitiful me uh, line that they're pushing out there of like well it's us against the world the reason why it's us against the world for michigan is because you cheated Mm -hmm. and and got caught red-handed and then your quarterback this week comes out and basically admits that very thing so it could be a vacated national championship even if if they do win i i just don't have a respect for for the program at this time now if If that was withstanding, I think they tried to model themselves similar to the way Georgia was built with physicality and uh, building the locker room inside out. With that said, I mean, aside from wanting Michigan to lose, it's not like I'm rooting for Washington in this game. Uh, You know, inconsequential at that point. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Michigan benefited from the Connor Stallion stuff. And I think that Michigan thinks that it benefited from it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked so hard and devoted so many resources to to making sure that happened. This is something that Michigan believed worked. I do believe it benefited them. And I don't think the game against Alabama, which presumably you know didn't happen with Connor Stallion's help, although I guess Stallion's was at the game, we've seen photographic evidence of, um, I don't think beating Alabama alone in sort of a close-fought game, you know, changes the overall perception for me of how it got there. As as sort of corny and maybe naive as it sounds, I think that Michigan was aided by the efforts that it took to get this extra information on its opponents, and I'm not quite ready to give that up just simply because they beat Alabama the other night. Yeah, they're, they're a good team. They are a good team with or without the the help that they received. With that said. The help they received was outside the boundaries by miles of wherever that line is, where it happens to be gray. They aren't close to it, uh, and and almost admittedly so. And when you've got a really good team playing other good teams, and you have that kind of advantage, it's it matters, and I think it it affects the integrity of the overall game that we all play towards. And for those that try to argue. Well, doesn't everybody try to get the? That's not a valid argument in right. this case. I mean, what what Michigan did in a systemic level 
was by far outside the bounds that anyone could see as, you know, well, that's just gamesmanship. That is not that that lacks any, you know, falls well below the threshold for any team as to trying to gain a fair competitive advantage. John, I love the conversation. I'm excited about this new year. I feel like we're gonna have so many fun things to talk about. It's great to have Georgia in the mix for all of this, but I think it's just sort of great to have kind of a new era coming in for the sport. Admittedly, I haven't been that excited about SEC expansion, but now it's here. I'm going to make the best of that. I am a lot more excited about playoff expansion overall. I think that's a good thing for the sport here. So a lot of fun conversation. we got a lot of work to do to sort of figure out exactly how all this is going to look and feel. I trust you to help us get that done, and we just hope that your 2024 is off to a great start. We appreciate you being a part of our program. Hey, likewise, B.A., always great to be a dog. Yes, sir. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, really good stuff from John Stinchcomb. Just really appreciate his thoughts on a lot of this kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm glad to hear John kind of be where I am on this, which is, you know, without getting, like, too serious, it's sort of been coded as a low-class belief to care about cheating. Like, if you watch the way in which some people kind of talk about this in social media, that if you're sophisticated, you're not worried about cheating, you assume that everybody's doing it, and so therefore you're sort of more interested in outcome and results. But there is something to be said for having rules, enforcing those rules, and assuming that if Michigan works as hard as it did to you know create this perceived advantage that it thought it was getting a true advantage and the overall statistical performance kind of what we think of as the Connor Stallions era would suggest that Michigan probably was getting a lot of help from them haven't been nearly as good since then that's sort of the story there on all of that so all that's uh, pretty interesting stuff I'll have more on the uh, championship game here coming up in a moment prior to that though let's go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and this weekend my uh, wife and I uh, took some time to do some of those finishing touches on some travel plans. Many of you know we're going to be on board Icon of the Seas uh, coming up here in really just a few weeks, which I'm very, very excited about. And it's always fun. Well, one of the things that we like to do is, not everybody does this, but we enjoy doing this, is kind of getting that hotel room right near the port on the night before the cruise. So we kind of booked that. We, you know, try to find that hotel that's kind of close by there and it's always fun if you can sort of see the port from the hotel that's always sort of fun and exciting i love just the giant kind of expansive nature of these royal caribbean cruise ships the way in which they look so big when they're sailing in or sailing out it's just it's just a fun exciting thing to be able to see i am sort of like a grown-up kid and so anything kind of related to that just gets me really really excited as it would for a, a, a kid so can't wait to tell you about uh, Icon of the Seas getting a chance to be on that coming up in a couple of weeks. By the way, speaking of kids, I think the thing that's going to be so exciting about Icon is is the way it really is going to kind of usher in a new era of family-oriented vacations on Royal Caribbean cruise ships. I believe that Royal Caribbean probably does the best job of entertaining the entire family because of all the different things they offer on board the ship. And that's one of the things I can't wait to come back and tell all of you about. Many of you know these ships have their own special neighborhoods. And uh, one of the things that uh, Icon of the Seas is debuting is a sort of a special family-oriented neighborhood where it's like you know family pools and family get together like just stuff for the family here obviously the entertainment kind of geared towards that there as well so it's going to be a great experience for families can't wait to tell you about it jessica slater terrific travel agent uh she'll tell you more about this you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or you can email her jslater at dreamvacations.com now here's the other thing too we're getting very close to Dog Nation cruise time, y'all. This is this is real. This is showtime, go time. Time to make your official plans to be on board with us. 
the uh, availability is going to run out here. So get on board. Be a part of that. RoyalDogs.com. That's the website to go to. You can find out more about all of that. All right, we've got a lot of crews around the SEC news to get to, and then there's a couple of Georgia notes I want to hit before our show is done today. So let's kind of roll through some of this here right now. I thought it was very funny how upset uh, Dan Mullen made a lot of people <laughs> this week. And it kind of upset me too, I guess, but I sort of mostly thought it was funny. So Dan Mullen, who has kind of fully embraced his role in the media here right now. And one of the things that media types like to do is put out their own rankings, things like that. Mullen has sort of gotten in trouble before with some of his picks here this year. He's been kind of kicked around, or Kirby Smart's kind of beaten up on him and kind of kicked him around a little bit. And perhaps Mullen sort of feels like he got his full and final revenge over Kirby here because a couple of days ago, Dan Mullen put out his uh, final top 10. Ohio State at 10, Missouri at 9, Ole Miss at 8, Oregon at 7. He had Georgia... At number six, fresh off a 63-3 win against Florida State. The Seminoles, by comparison, he still had a third. They lost a bowl game by 60, stayed at number three in his rankings. Georgia won the game by literally 60 points and did not move up from number six. Georgia fans were obviously going all after him, which I think they should. It's, I think, probably all in good fun. Mullen seems to probably get, kind of get that kind of stuff, too. But the thing I love more than anything is, is – you know, Kirby essentially took his lunch money as a coach on the field, put him in the uh, unemployment line, and has since made fun of him countless times as, you know, being an unemployed coach. And Dan Mullen's only revenge is to tweet about it. Like, don't you just love that? I mean, don't you just love that more than anything else? That Mullen's only way of getting back at Kirby for the merciless, you know, beatings that Kirby's given his way both verbally and on the football field is to like fire off a snarky tweet where he keeps Georgia number six in his poll I think that's pretty fun I think that's pretty entertaining Georgia fans weren't too happy and I think all is fair when it comes to these kind of debates this time of year speaking of debates there is already a conversation starting to form around the 2024 Heisman Trophy interesting to see uh the number of SEC quarterbacks kind of already in the mix there uh, on all of this um that that when you look at some of the early odds out there, FanDuel's got some out here right now. You see Quinn Ewers, who's expected to come back, uh, Jalen Milrow, who is coming back, and Carson Beck. They're all right now at kind of like seven and a half to one to win next year's Heisman Trophy. So you got three SEC quarterbacks, kind of very much in the mix for next year's Heisman Trophy. Giving you an idea, this is going to be a pretty deep year coming up for quarterbacks in the league. Uh, you've got some other uh, guys that are in there. Nico Imaleva from Tennessee. He's at 15 to 1. Oklahoma's Jackson Arnold. Keep in mind, that's an SEC quarterback now. He's at 18 to 1. I think that Arnold can be a really good player. I think Arnold's a really good quarterback. Texas A&M's Connor Wegman at 18 to 1. I don't really know what to think about that. Garrett Nussmeyer, who I touted this year, uh, ultimately not to have that come true. He's at 20 to 1 for next year. Jackson Dart, who's coming back, is also at 20 to 1 here right now as well. So a lot of SEC quarterbacks in the mix for next year, which gives you an idea of the sort of the theme of today's show. 2024 is going to be a wild and I think very fun year around the SEC because there are so many big teams, big names, big games to be played. You know, Nico did have the uh, pretty good bowl games. So that makes Tennessee feel a little better about their upcoming season. Jackson Dart's coming back for Ole Miss. That was one of the big pieces of the Rebels, whether, you know, Quinchon Judkins is following suit or not. You know, teams like uh, LSU and, and Texas A&M who want to get back in the conversation. They feel like they've got returning quarterbacks that give them a chance to do that. In the case of Nussmeyer, at least he got its plates on. So pretty fun year coming up 
as it relates to the quarterback position in the SEC. Those odds from FanDuel give you an idea of just how true that is. Speaking of Ole Miss and Quinshawn Judkins, last week it was a surprising piece of news when Judkins put his name into the transfer portal. We don't know for sure where he's going yet. But we do have some ideas of where he's visiting uh, from Judkins' own social media and some of the reporting coming out of Columbus. It sounds like Quinshawn Judkins visited Ohio State here this weekend. So that gives you an idea of the kind of, uh, I guess, market that's out there for Judkins. He's one of the most productive players in the SEC for this past season. And upon leaving o- Ole Miss, He's got the biggest name in the sport, probably in Michigan, probably in Alabama, now in Ohio State. They're all kind of out there looking for him. I guess the question I would have is, and we talked about this a little bit briefly at the end of last week. So obviously, if you're Ohio State, you'd love to have a Quinshawn Judkins. You know, uh, all things being equal, no team would turn down a chance to have a running back of this explosive nature. But look at the way that Ohio State has sort of handled the quarterback position. This is a team in desperate need of quarterback. And by the way, when you see how well C.J. Stroud is doing um, in the NFL with the Houston Texans, boy, that shines a very interesting light on kind of what's not happening at the quarterback position right now at Ohio State. And, and maybe, you know, from the standpoint that, that maybe Ryan Day should have gotten even more out of C.J. Stroud last season than he perhaps did. Interesting conversation going on there, but different discussion for a different day. The point here is is that we have seen Ohio State be somewhat frugal is that the right word? Somewhat frugal with quarterbacks, NIL, at least potentially speaking. You know, they did not get involved for Cam Ward. Uh, finally took the guy to Jack, uh, uh, Kansas State, who's, you know, maybe better than what they had last year with Devin McCourt, but not obviously so. And so this is a program like in Ohio State that has been somewhat frugal, somewhat budget conscious when it comes to a portal quarterback. Are they going to really break the bank for a running back? And if they're not, then if I'm Judkins, then I'm left to wonder, well, am I really better off going to a new team that's perhaps going to want me to carry the ball more because they're now paying some additional money for me as opposed to staying in a place like Ole Miss I was perhaps comfortable with? I don't fault Judkins for going to the transfer portal if that's what he wants to do, but you know the, the sort of free market door swings both ways. And, you know, winners got to be rewarded, but sometimes, you know, some of the transfer portal losers who put themselves out there only to not quite get financially what they think they're going to get, that's going to probably be held up as a cautionary tale. I I think it'll be very interesting to see which of these two kind of directions the Quinshawn Judkins story sort of goes from here. But right now, he's drawing big interest from big programs. You can't deny that. Uh, John Stinchcomb made his feelings about Jim Harbaugh very clear there a moment ago. He's rooting against the Wolverines right, you know, tonight because of his view that is a cheating program. I don't disagree with that. The other part about this that's interesting is the very strong belief among many that this could be Jim Harbaugh's last game as Michigan coach. In fact, uh, Paul Feinbaum, who's been very critical of Harbaugh during his tenure there as Michigan coach, Feinbaum has said on ESPN over the course of the last couple of days that he's 100% certain that Jim Harbaugh leaves after this year, uh, drawing NFL interest. I guess that's probably true. I mean, I should say more likely than not that Harbaugh, I believe, goes to the NFL. But keep in mind, Nobody seems to like Jim Harbaugh, and I'm not being funny when I say that. People at Michigan don't seem to like him. The fellow coaches in the Big Ten definitely don't seem to like him. His previous employee, the San Francisco 49ers, a lot of folks there don't seem to like him either. So it's not an easy hire to necessarily make of, you know, you bring a guy like this in, you got to wonder, you know, it's not fantasy football. It's not just bringing a good coach to make a team better. It's how does this guy fit with the other people in the organization? Jim Harbaugh has a history of not getting along with people very well including in the NFL, his previous general manager, Trent Baalke, there at the 49ers. So 
I would say for a lot of NFL teams, it is not a no-brainer hire. You have to be comfortable with what you're getting into, and you have to be comfortable, I believe, with what Harbaugh's demands have sort of been, which are he doesn't really want much in the way of a boss. At least that's, I think, his preferred situation here. Uh, I, I look at a scenario like Atlanta, where there is a GM in place, Terry Fontenot. There is obviously a, a team president in place, Rich McKay, who seems to survive every every single uh, change that takes place with that roster overall. Like, you know, could Jim Harbaugh be, be a fit in a place like Atlanta? You know, given the power structure that's in place here, I'd say probably not. Now, most Falcons fans might be happy to hear about that, too. Uh, but I'd say, you know, he's clearly a better coach than what Atlanta has had. Uh, he's more interesting probably because of just the backstory that comes along with this. I wouldn't hate Harbaugh to Atlanta, even though I don't particularly like Jim Harbaugh. I think the Falcons need to try anything they can, but it is an example of the fact that Harbaugh is not an easy hire for every NFL team to make that might you know be considering a big name proven winner like Harbaugh necessarily is. So interesting to see where all of this goes uh, from here. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Cribbon. We'll watch in some form or fashion this championship game here tonight. Let me also uh, mention the All-American Bowl takes place uh, this uh, past weekend. I'll invite you to check out Jeff's Intel story, dognation.com. Jeff kind of goes in more detail about the Georgia guys who were there and kind of how they performed in all of this. Sounds like Nate Frazier had a touchdown. I'm excited about Frazier. I know the West team won the game. I'm excited about Frazier, George. I think that he could be very interesting. He's not going to be an early enrollee, though. He's not getting here until after his high school year out in California is done. But I do believe that Frazier could be a lot of fun for UGA. And highlights probably worth going to check out. Sounds like he probably performed the best in the game of any of the Georgia signees. K.J. Bolden was also there as well. And I guess now K.J. is going to be at Georgia here this week. Uh, maybe he's, I guess he's probably already there. Kind of getting to work now on his status as early enrollee. You know, he wants to add some good, strong weight to be in line for some playing time here early this year. And kind of the last official moment of his high school career coming in San Antonio this past weekend. Check out Jeff's Intel story on that at dognation.com for more details. Also, while we're kind of doing a little bit of a news roundup at the end of the show here, let's also shout out Georgia basketball. And, you know, this team right now sort of seems like they might be worth your attention here a little bit. Got a nice winning streak going. They began SEC play on Saturday, beat Missouri. Really, for the most part, kind of controlled the game on the road there in Como. Now, this is not a great Missouri team necessarily, but this is a much better Georgia team led by Mike White at coach. This is a much better Georgia team overall than it probably has been. It's a home game against Arkansas Wednesday night. Is that right? Um, this could be about to be getting interesting for Georgia basketball, playing a little bit better uh, than they have as of uh, late. And so that is a uh, tremendous thing to see. So shout out to Mike White. Congratulations to Georgia basketball on all of that. Now, one final note as we transition to our golden shoe here for today. Shouts out as well to a good showing from UGA guys, both Chris Kirk with the win and also Kevin Kisner making his debut in the NBC broadcast booth as the uh, PGA Tour, at least what's left of the PGA Tour, began its 2024 season out in Hawaii, as it typically does there at the uh, Century. And kind of a nice moment that some Georgia fans caught on the uh, broadcast uh, uh, over the weekend of Kevin Kisner instead of the PGA Tour with all the Georgia players doing as well as they have, calling it the UGA Tour. You love seeing Kisner down in the broadcast booth. This is a little taste of what he brought to the broadcast uh, there this weekend. We'll give him a golden shoe for a fun shout-out to UGA there on NBC. Take a look at this. Your bulldog, Chris Kirk, seems to be in a great position with a great rhythm going like he usually does. They keep it up on the UGA Tour out here, two guys in the top five, and, and uh, Kirk, Kirk's in the perfect spot. 
with his uh, demeanor and, and the way he is to Shali with, with seven to go here. And Scusi's driving. He's going to have seven more birdie opportunities, I think, Kirk. You love seeing Kisner on the broadcast booth. Congratulations to Chris Kirk for winning out there. Now Kapalua and perhaps more UGA references to come from Kisner as he sits in there on that broadcast booth in the future. One can only hope. Fun way to see that begin. It's also kind of nice winter time of year to see golf being played out in Hawaii. Uh, sort of makes you sort of feel warm on the inside to have this part of the golf season back, even if the PGA Tours having its share of issues here right now. Nice to see Kisner in the booth. And congratulations for the former dog Chris Kirk going out there and earning himself the win. And also, thanks to all of you for being a part of our program here today and your patience with us. We've sort of worked through uh, a lot of the things that we've uh, had going on here as of late. Fun show to be able to deliver this to you today in a way that sort of feels more like normal than anything we've done in quite some time. That is a uh, terrific thing. So we certainly appreciate all of that. And by the way, stay close to Dog Nation coming up in the uh, days to come there as well. We got a couple of more NFL draft announcements we expect to take place. Good news, we think, coming the way of Warren Brinson and Dominic Lovett and Rara Thomas and maybe some uh, leave me by out there uh, sort of seems like you're kind of heading towards all of that and if you want a recap of the Georgia recruits of the All-American game in San Antonio the Under Armour game in Orlando prior to that Jeff Sintel's got some good stuff for you at dognation.com on all of that too how about the lousy stinking Gators long times they've beaten Georgia 1157 days that is our Gatorator updater we'll see all of you back here tomorrow Dog Nation Daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia.